Now may we take our Bibles, please, all of us, and I'm going to speak this morning on the subject of God. What is God in his being? Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And we shall find our text in the Gospel according to John. the fourth chapter, the twenty-fourth verse, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In view of the discussions concerning God that are now current, and the widespread consideration of the theologians who are saying God is dead, I feel it would be very helpful if we devoted a few messages to the subject of God. Who is he? What is he? Let's get right into the heart of this great subject of God. And I propose today to deal with God in his being, Next Lord's Day, I shall deal with God in his attributes, and then I have projected other sermons dealing with God the Son and with God the Holy Spirit, and with a special message dealing with the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. I am certain that with the tremendous discussion and agitation over the country and especially our college campuses about honest to God and new morality and God is dead, that it is most timely that I direct our attention to these great truths and doctrines of our faith. The text which I have taken is from the lips of our Savior. God is a spirit. And I'm going to deal in this doctrinal message with first the spirit, God as a spirit. Second, I'm going to deal with the nature of that spirit. He is infinite, he is eternal, he is unchangeable. You can readily see that the outline for this sermon is taken from our own Shorter Catechism, where we have the simple, direct definition. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. I want to read to you the second chapter of our Confession of Faith. We are a confessional church. We're a church that has a creed. We have summarized the great doctrines of the Bible, and we profess them and seek to proclaim them. Chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession deals with Holy Scriptures. Chapter 2 is entitled, Of God and the Holy Trinity. So as soon as we finish making our declaration concerning the Scriptures, the first subject that engages our confession is that of God. Two weeks ago, I delivered a message on 
God is not dead, and I gave you the four major proofs that we have that there is a God. The first one is that God has created all things, and his wisdom and power are manifest in them, and we see him in his wisdom and power and his glory in his creation. The second one was that he has spoken immediately and directly to man. And so we have all the records of the Old Testament and the word of the Lord came unto Moses. God spake. The third argument was that Jesus, that Jesus Christ came here from the Father. He was sent and the Father came in the person of his Son and entered into our history, identified himself with us. And the fourth argument, of course, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, has now come and takes up his abode and dwells inside of the believer. And we testify to this, and we can arise and say there is a God because I know him and because he dwells in me, and my body is his tabernacle. Those are the four great proofs, four great arguments that there is a God. Now, there's a wide area under each one of those points where many things can be brought forth that are effective and they rejoice our hearts. But the overall question is, what is God? What is he? Now, may I read you the confession of faith. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection. A most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. Most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness, in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, and upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent and uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his words, in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever, worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. 
In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now that's the entire chapter of the Westminster Confession in this glorious exaltation of God. In our larger catechism, we ask the question, what is God? Answer, God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And our shorter catechism says, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let's begin by looking at this question of spirit. God is a spirit. Our Savior gave us that definition. And in order to come at some understanding as to what this spirit is and as to the very being of God, we must recognize that all the knowledge that we have of him, he has been pleased to give us in the creation, in his word, in his son, and in us. That's where we obtain this knowledge. And to get at the problem where you're dealing with spirit, where there's nothing tangible that you can lay hold upon that spirit as such, we recognize that God in his creation has made man, and the Bible tells us that we have a body which is of the earth and which is material and of the creation. We have a spirit. And that spirit dwells in our bodies. And at death, the spirit leaves the body. But it's this spirit, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If we worship, we must worship in spirit and in truth. And it is the spirit that is in us that God has created, which dwells in this body, and which you don't see and I don't see, but you know it's there. It is that spirit that can be related to the spirit that is God. This spirit which is God is invisible. It's unseen. We have no way of showing pictures of God because it's in this great unseen realm. And that's why when Khrushchev sent his first men into outer space, he said he gave them special instructions to investigate and see if they found God out there, and they came back and they said, no, they didn't find him, so Khrushchev says there is no God. And we're dealing with the Almighty God in the realm of the Spirit, into which realm itself you and I are not able to enter as such. Our spirits can have fellowship with his Spirit, 
and his spirit bears testimony with our spirit. But no more than you can see a human spirit after it leaves the body, or you can see that human spirit in the body, or just what part of the body that spirit occupies, the heart, the reins, the conscience, no more can you see God. And consequently, when we say that God is a spirit, we're making a declaration concerning him of his being and of his nature, which is beyond the material. It is beyond the creation which he has made. Now, I'm going to get into some of these deeper things with you today because I want you to see what God means to us and how we live and move and have our being in the Almighty God who is revealed to us in Scripture. When Paul spoke to the Christians, or rather to the philosophers in Athens in Acts 17, he said, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of all, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And all that we can do is to say that God, in all of the glory of his being, is this spirit which we do not see, and which in our present estate we cannot see. We stop in the presence of that. But when I say that he is a spirit, we come then to this glorious concept that he as the spirit has completed and done the works of creation. And that means that all that has been created, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, were made by the spirit. But I want to make this distinction very clear and you must see it and understand. God has created all things, but the all things are not God. God has created our world and nature and everything that we behold. His glory is there, his power is there, his wisdom is there, but that is not God. God is not nature. God is in nature, yes. And God has created it, yes. And God sustains it, yes. But God is not the creation which he has made. That's what you call pantheism, that God is nature. Now when I make that distinction for you, when I make that clearly before you, then you can begin to understand his nature as being infinite and eternal and unchangeable. And as I turn out to look at the nature of God, I want to look first at the concept of infinity. Of infinity. Here we have these passages running through the Bible that refer to him. Will you turn with me please to Psalm 147? And in Psalm after Psalm, you have these, in passage after passage, you have these Marvelous declarations concerning God's uh, eternity, his infinity, his unchangeable nature. But you turn to the very last of the Psalter, and in the fifth verse, Great is our God, and of great power. 
His understanding is infinite. Infinite. Now, the word infinite, of course, has its direct relationship to space. Space. And the thought is that God, having created everything, has still given us a universe which is limited, which is finite, and that he is beyond it. And we're being told today that the universe is expanding and expanding and expanding, and men are trying to find the edge of the universe. Beloved, if they ever do find the edge of the universe, beyond the edge of the universe, on out yonder into infinity is still God. And when I talk about the infinity of God, I have reached a point with you where your mind your regenerate mind, your renewed mind, as it is in Christ, must simply stop. You stop in the present. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And I want you to recognize that the thought of the infinity of God goes far beyond the expanse of the whole universe as he has made it. And I have to stop there. My little mind just can't climb out beyond that. My little mind just can't get up beyond those areas. And all I have to do is to say, here is this eternal spirit. Here is this God who created the universe. He did it for his own glory. The universe is not God, but he's in it, and he made it. But when I tell you that, I take you one step further. Not only do I take you out into space, beyond space, but I bring you back to the very present. The fact that he is infinite means that he is everywhere. He is absolutely in every place at all times. And we read for our passage just now. Will you turn with me, please, to that great passage in Psalm 139, Whither shall I go from thy presence? And whither shall I flee? And the psalmist says in verse 7, Whither shall I go and whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Oftentimes we say, well, do your prayers reach to heaven? Beloved, your prayers are heard in the immediate presence of God. He's here. God is everywhere. He permeates everything. He is a spirit which is infinite. And when Jesus Christ said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, when God said to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, he says, I will be with thee as I was with Moses. God is saying to his people, I am here and my special care, my power, my guidance will be yours and I'll be there to give it to you. And what we must remember when we're speaking now about God is that he is infinite in that he is beyond his creation. 
and he's infinite in that he is very present everywhere at all times and you cannot flee from that presence. And when it comes to the wicked, he is there to know their every deed and be sure your sins will find you out. You cannot flee or cover up or get away from the Almighty God. Jesus said he's a spirit. When you come to believe in God, as we do, and then you find out that he's everywhere, in every act that's been performed in all creation, he's there in it. And when you recognize that he's here right now, in him we live and move and have our being. This is God. You know, when I think about these men that saying God is dead, they've got a pretty big God to kill. They've got a pretty big God to get rid of. They've got a pretty big God to eliminate because he is infinite. Now, I'm not going into this with you, but I will next week. He's infinite. This infinity that we talk about applies to his wisdom. This infinity applies to his power. This infinity applies to every attribute that he has. This is the kind of a God. And beloved, when we have a God like this and we've come to know him in his son Jesus Christ, then we have the fullest confidence, the fullest assurance that he is there. And Jesus Christ says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And it makes no difference where you are. You're always in the presence of God. It makes no difference where you are. You're always at home with the Lord. Now that raises the question of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Incarnation, but I'm going to give you an entire message on the Incarnation of Jesus Christ. But when you feel and understand what it means here about God being incarnate, you can understand what Jesus meant when he said, The Father sent me. And then he proceeds to say, The Son of Man who is here on earth, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. You can understand how he spoke to Nathaniel and said, While thou wast yet over unto the fig tree, I saw thee and understood thee. Now, we have a spirit in us, but our spirit is limited. It's finite. It's limited in its knowledge. It's limited in its wisdom. It's limited in its power. We have a spirit, but it's a limited spirit. But as such, it was created in the image and the likeness of God. But God's spirit is without limit in infinity. And when we look at ourselves and we see our little limitations, and then about us is the great and glorious God of the universe, the only God. In fact, there can be no other God because he is all and in all. It's impossible for there to be any other God than this one. You know, beloved, it's difficult to talk like this, but yet if you do, you understand it. It's difficult to preach like this, but if you do, you understand it. You rejoice in it. Now, in the second place, as we look at this spirit, we find that he is eternal. Eternal. And that has to do with time. I've been talking about space over here. He's everywhere in space. Now, we come into the element of time. And will you turn to the 90th Psalm? Just take it and look at the 90th Psalm. Beloved, if there's anything that'll strengthen you, if there's anything that'll hold you, if there's anything that'll give you security, it is God. He does it. And we understand Him. 
And in this great 90th Psalm, Moses, of course, is speaking. And he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of man. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and the watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are all consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath we are troubled. Oh, beloved. Verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Beloved, what is threescore years and ten compared to eternity? Before the mountains were formed, before the creation was brought into being, from eternity to eternity, and when... Abraham dealt with the Lord. He said, I am the Lord God Almighty, Abraham. You walk before me and be thou perfect. When Moses dealt with the Almighty God, and God met him at the burning bush and spoke to him and told him he wanted to be the great deliverer, and Moses says, Whom shall I tell them has sent me? And he said, Tell them, I am that I am has sent thee. Eternity speaking. Eternity is in the very moment. Tell them I am has sent thee. And then when Jesus Christ was here upon the earth and he was convincing men that he was the son of God, he says, I am, I am, I am. This is the eternal now. This is the God of glory from everlasting unto everlasting. And do you know why you and I can have confidence in everlasting life. He has created us here in time and in space. But having created us in his likeness and his image, he has provided for the redemption of our souls and of our bodies. And he has promised us that he will give eternal life and no other God can offer everlasting life. He's the only one who has everlasting in his being. It's a part of the very nature of God. And God has brought us to himself and he's put upon us the stamp of eternity that we might have this life in himself. This is God. Beloved, you have a pretty big God to kill when he's eternal. Oh, the puny little mind of man that rises up and says there is no God. Oh, what a faker man is to even begin to talk in terms like this in the presence of the eternal God. And the more you dwell upon him, the more you consider his nature, and we'll get into his attributes next Sunday, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, and you see all these things, the more man shrivels and shrinks and he comes down to what he says, Lord, I am nothing. Thou art all and in all. And it's the desire of man to know God, 
to love God, to serve God. And the life which we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith in this great God, that he is able, he's sufficient, he's our God, and he will take care of us. And oh, what this country did, beloved, when it wrote on its coins, in God we trust. And if we could just have that trust in that great God today, we could work out our problems under his blessing and guidance in this nation of ours. Infinite, eternal. Well, let's get in now to the last one, unchangeable. Turn to Malachi, the third chapter, in the sixth verse. You have these great statements running through, again, the Holy Scripture, but Malachi the prophet is denouncing the children of Israel because of their awful apostasy, and he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God doesn't change. He's always been the same. He always will be the same. He doesn't change in his being. His nature doesn't change. There's no one that has the power to change God. There's no one that can do anything about God. I change not. And because he says, I don't change, because my law abides, because I'm what I am, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And he's speaking about his mercy, and he's speaking about his grace, and he's speaking about his love for Israel who had his revelation and had the knowledge of him. And they wandered and they strayed and they went off and erected their images and went off after Balaam and Ashtaroth and these other pagan deities around about them. Oh, beloved, I change not. And isn't it interesting how man's tried to bring him down and put him in a temple somewhere and how man's brought him down here and tried to make an image and an idol out of him and then go down and bow down to these idols and say, here's my God over here on this tree somewhere. Oh, what man has done in perverting in his darkness and in his sin the image and the likeness of the true and the living God. Oh, beloved, I am the Lord thy God. Walk thou before me and be thou perfect. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of any likeness of any kind that's in the heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the waters under the sea. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And we have a God who changes not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, you have security, you have hope, you have great assurance in the living and the true God. At the present moment, on every hand we're being told that because of the change and revolution that's through the world, the church must now change and adjust its message. On every hand we're being told that the changes are now taking place are of such a nature that we must adjust ourselves to them and accept these things that have now developed. And if we'll change and modify our message, we'll have a message that then can be relevant and acceptable to the modern man who has these scientific concepts in his head. 
And that is an emphasis right now which is on every hand. But beloved, God doesn't change. The remedy which God has for sin doesn't change. The remedy that God has in opening the grave doesn't change. It's a risen Christ who came and died for us. And God's basis of judging men, which is his law, does not change. And man of the 20th century, no matter how great may be his scientific accomplishments, will stand before the judgment throne of this mighty God, and he'll be judged by an unchangeable creator who has set before us his mighty law and the great standard concerning his being. And the God of creation and the God of redemption does not change his ways or his decrees which he has ordered in creation and in providence. And it's our task not to adjust ourselves to the new modern ideas, but to bring all of the new modern ideas under the judgment of the truth and the message of God as he's revealed it to us. That is what must be done. And when we stand and preach like this, I cannot talk about God. I cannot deal with God and his unchangeable being and nature as I present him to you today without coming to grips with his changing life and the philosophies that are surging about the minds of men right now to lead them astray so that they will deny God. You must come to grips with the everlasting creator and the one who gave to us a message of redemption by the sacrifice of his son upon the cross of Calvary. And when you believe it, God won't change it. God won't nullify it. God won't alter it. And you can rest in peace because you have come to know the true and the living God. This article which the lady spoke of in their letter to life that I just read spoke about the dialogue, the dialogue. And there are two words today. On every hand you run into them, dialogue. And the other one is reconciliation. These are the two words. And they're the words of the change, the adjustment, the shifting. Reconciliation is the word around which the new confession of 1967 is being built. Whole thing's built around reconciliation. Dialogue is the word which has come up in the ecumenical discussion. Dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church. Dialogue now with uh, the Protestant groups. And the purpose of the dialogue is to bring us together so we can have some kind of an understanding. And now it's moved on out until we're to have this dialogue with the communist world. And that's become the new emphasis of dialogue, the change, change. Those of you who heard my broadcast yesterday morning, I was literally petrified as a preacher when I saw this and I read it. Literally petrified, I was. And here was this Methodist Sunday School quarterly for May 1966. And what do they say? Let me read it to you. We're going to have a dialogue. We're going to have this interaction. We're going to have these changes. We're going to have these adjustments. For both Christian and Marxist-Leninist, it'll be a very disturbing experience to enter into serious dialogue with each other. We can't expect our ideas to remain unchanged. Beloved, my ideas concerning God and his law will never change because they are the ideas that God has revealed to us. We cannot expect our ideas to remain unchanged or our deepest convictions to go unchallenged. 
genuine interaction with the Marxist-Leninist world will result in new perspectives that reflect that interaction. So get into the dialogue and you'll come up with some new perspectives that you'll be willing to deal with. And then we go on to read... Throughout its long history, whenever the church has entered seriously into a strange culture or a new era, the church itself and its interpretation of the gospel have changed in the process. May God keep this church here from never changing in its process. We shall always confess the true and the living God as he's revealed in this blessed book and proclaim the message of redemption by his shed blood. But look at this. To those who seek the, who see the church primarily as a bulwark of the status quo, that to us is familiar and reassuring, this prospect will be threatening. But to those who believe that God is yet active in the world and He would lead His church in and through the complexities of this world as it is, the possibility of such interchange will be an exciting challenge. Only through such a dialectic process can the mind of the 20th century world be led to reflect the mind of Christ. End of quote. So here is your Methodist church, ladies and gentlemen, with the dialectic and with the dialogue and telling us we've got to have this interchange. And as we come to the conclusions from the interchange, we will reflect the mind of Christ. And there it is. There it is. On Friday night I went to Toronto and finished my message there and I Individual came up to me and says, Dr. McIntyre, I want you to have this. And they gave me the Marxist Quarterly from Canada, spring 1966, Christianity and Marxism in Dialogue. And I open it, and the whole thing is about the dialogue with Christianity, and here they have a whole chapter on the United Church of Canada in uh, the western part of the country there. having an official committee of their conference sit down with an official delegation from the Communist Party and the meeting is held in the church there, the Renfrew United Church in Vancouver and they have this dialogue and the Communists come up by saying that if they're going to have a socialistic Canada this is the way we have to move. Beloved, when you throw away God you're ready for dialogue with anything. But when you hold on to the living and the true God infinite, eternal, unchangeable. You'll stand and bear your testimony to his name and to his truth and to his power and to his word. And having done all, you will stand. Now it's in the midst of this kind of a world that you and I are living. It's in the midst of this kind of struggle throughout the land that you and I are caught up. And the one and glorious security which we have, which will keep us, is our faith in God. Our faith in the true and the living God. He's unchangeable. We all love that grand old hymn. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail, 
and comfort flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay and all around I see. O thou who changes not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadow flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for this message on thyself, thy being. Bring glory to thyself through it. And we thank thee that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. For Christ's sake, amen.